0: Thanks for joining us. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. You are now tuned in to this episode of our podcast. Today we are going to interview some of the greatest and most influential minds in our field. And now, please welcome your host, You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981.
1: And we're back to Las Vegas. We go with us right now is a billionaire investor who was supposed to be on the Titanic, but thank God he and his son were not. Jay Bloom and his son, Sean, was scheduled to join the voyage to see the Titanic. And by the grace of God, he was spared from that going. So, Jay, thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. First of all, we're very pleased that that you're here with us. Now, you were invited for a fee, I think it's $250,000 per person, to join OceanGate CEO Scott and Rush, who was unfortunately killed in the tragedy, to participate in this submarine to visit the Titanic. How did you know Stockton Rush, and what's your connection, and how did it all come about that you were supposed to go on this uh, submarine ride?
2: So I was introduced to Stockton about a year ago and uh he told me about um ocean gate and what he's doing and uh he painted a very uh exciting picture about going to visit the uh the wreck of the titanic he told me that uh, less than 200 people have ever been to the dive site and more people have been in space than than have been down to the to the wreckage uh, my son uh who's now 20 has uh been a longtime fan of the, uh, of the Titanic story. And I thought this would be exciting for me and it would be an exciting thing to do for my son. Uh, so I told Stockton I was interested. Um, we, uh, we talked about it kind of conceptually uh, from, from uh, a year ago until about February of this year. And then February of this year, we started talking about picking dates
1: now, did you, obviously your son did some due diligence on his homework and he found out things that were disturbing about it, but um, did you have any inkling when you were talking to him that there were some problems, some major problems dealing with this uh, submarine?
2: Uh, initially, no. Um, there was uh, he, he touted the safety uh, of what he was doing. He said the, uh, the industry has 35 years of history. Submersibles, non-military, non-Navy, uh, with uh, zero, zero accidents, uh, zero in- injuries, much less fatalities. So he says perfectly safe and, and uh, you know, an exciting adventure. And uh, he, uh, he was painting a very rosy picture.
1: So what changed? So you, what did your son, Sean, discover that made you decide, maybe we should not be going on this trip, on this voyage to the bottom of the sea?
2: Huh. Well, it was a series of discoveries. Um, he told a friend about it. His friend said uh, that he thought he was a bit crazy, uh, and they started to research it. They found a video where Stockton uh, was discussing that he controlled the submarine with a, a video game controller, a consumer grade Logitech video game controller. Um, and that kind of spooked my son uh, and rightfully so. And, and then he looked a little further and he found that he used a carbon fiber hull. And when he researched that carbon fiber, uh, when it's cycled through stress and pressure uh, gets compromised, delaminates and shatters like glass. So he thought that was a, uh, A terrible decision, you know, carbon fiber is is supposed to be strong and lightweight, uh, but in a submarine, weight isn't a consideration. So he wasn't quite sure why he used fiber, especially since it's so brittle and susceptible to pressure cycles. Um, And we found that the uh, uh, um, an employee raised concerns because there was a. There is a viewing port, a viewing window. Uh, that the manufacturer rated to 1500 meters in depth and the dive we were going on was 4,500 meters, three times what the manufacturer's spec was. And Stockton's response is uh, that the industry is so over-engineered that uh, there's a lot of wasted money. And, and yes, that's spec for 1500 meters and we're going 4,500 meters, but it's good to 10,000 meters. So we're still in that safe range. And that's kind of how he viewed everything that, uh, because the industry is so over-engineered for safety that at some point, safety becomes a, a waste of money.
1: Now, I read a report that some of the previous trips were, by the grace of God, didn't end up in a catastrophe. Uh, for example, the, one of his last trips made the last one before this one, where the uh, engine was put in backwards. Right. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that came up in the research, but the engine put in backwards, that's not a very self-assuring uh, manifestation. This is going to be going well. I mean, the, the engine backwards of all the things that's, that's real crazy. Yeah.
2: Well, and then um, we found that the hatch is attached by 18 bolts. Actually, there are 18 holes for 18 bolts. He generally used 16 or 17 because 18, he decided was not necessary. Um, and, uh, it can only be opened from the outside. So if you had any kind of issue and you surfaced, you're still stuck in an airtight submarine with the inability to open it to escape the the uh escape the, the vessel.
1: Wow. By the way, 18 is chai in Hebrew, so he didn't want to use the letter chai. I find that pretty interesting. Chai is life. And uh, yeah. so what what did the, what did the rest of your family think about when you when you originally said you were going to go? What were their reaction?
2: Well, my son initially was excited until he got some more information. Uh, My wife thought it was very adorable that I thought I was going to be able to go.
1: Did she want to Uh, go too?
2: She did not want to go. She did (laughs) not want me going. She did not want my son going.
1: (laughs) But Okay. But you said you want to go as a time to experience father and son bonding.
2: Yeah, I thought it would be nice. So um, in February, we started to raise these concerns and I shared my son's concerns. Uh, So I question Stockton about the safety and he flew out in March to meet me and he took me through the uh the Titanic exhibition at Luxor we walked the exhibition talking about what the excursion would look like and then um we had lunch and over lunch we talked about what what to expect And, and then we touched on the safety concerns and he was fairly dismissive and he actually flew out he told me he was flying his plane out to meet me and that he would be meeting me in North Las Vegas, which I thought was a strange choice. Uh, most people, when they come here, land at uh, McCarran, it's now Harry Reid international, uh, or in Henderson executive. So why
1: do you think he supposed he wanted to go there as opposed to where people normally go?
2: I asked him that. And he told me that he was flying in on a two seat experimental aircraft that he built. Um, now I'm a pilot and, uh, uh, that is an entirely different risk appetite than I have. I wouldn't fly in an experimental aircraft. Uh, so, And then I thought about it, and I thought, here we have uh, a gentleman flying in on a two-seater experimental aircraft that he built to take me on a five-seater experimental sub that he built to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, started to really rethink this. So in April, he offered me uh, seats on a May trip. There are two dates in May. And he offered to discount the tickets by $100,000 each. Um, so it was two, it's
1: $250,000 normally what he was charging. So he was going to give you a discount so you would pay only 150000 per person. Yeah, correct. And he, did he think correct. that would entice you to come, getting a discount?
2: He was addressing the wrong concern.
1: But well, he thought it was a financial reason why you didn't want to price. go?
2: well uh, if if i think i'm going to there's a good chance of going to die on this trip dropping the price is not going to entice me to go right but he was focused on the wrong issue. too
1: but did he address the other um, safety concerns that you were bringing up
2: no he, he just minimized them by saying that you know his industry way over engineers and wastes a lot of money in over-engineering for safety
1: now from what uh, i understand by the, way, the ocean gates website still promoting future trips for $250,000 I don't think it's ever been taken down from the company.
2: I think that was was prior to uh, this tragedy, and um, just nobody took it down. This all happened so suddenly.
1: Now, when you heard that the the implosion of this uh, submarine, what was your reaction?
2: Well, um, it was like the top news story in the world. Um, for a period of time and um, so everywhere I looked whether it was online or social media or the news on television I kept seeing the news of the implosion and they would put up the pictures of the passengers And there were three individual pictures of three individual people and then a fourth picture of this father and son this Pakistani businessman and his son that took my son and my seat and all I could think of is but for the grace of God that would be our picture on the television my family talking to the press. So it's really an eerie feeling.
1: Did it have any impact on you spiritually, religiously, knowing that you could have gone through this and by the, only by the saving grace of God, you didn't go?
2: It made me think about what's really important. You know, one of the things like, so Thursday, when they announced last Thursday, a week ago, Thursday, when they announced and everybody at was uh, was lost. Um, you know, I, I, I reflected a bit and I put up a Facebook post of my message, my text messages uh, with Stockton Rush. And I said, uh, I finished my post with the thought that tomorrow is not promised. And, uh, you know, I, I'm changing the priorities in my life. You know, so everybody gets so emotional and so upset and so passionate about, you know, politics and, and, and you know, these petty squabbles that really don't matter so i'm, I'm kind of reprioritizing how i use the time that i have
1: no it's a it's, it's an important you know thing to do does that mean perhaps you can share with us i know that you're jewish are you involved religiously or jewishly with jewish organizations or synagogues and does this experience or near experience, this experience change your wanting to be even more involved
2: so um i mean i was uh i was bar Mitzvah in an Orthodox uh, synagogue, but I am, um, uh, ultra (laughs) reform. Um, I didn't know,
1: I I didn't know this. uh, I heard of ultra Orthodox. I have heard of ultra reform.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just made that up. Um, no, I'm I'm not, I don't practice, but, uh, it's more for me. It's more about the tradition. Right. So we do have, uh, Passover seders and we do attend temple on occasion, but, uh, uh, beyond that, it's, it's no, it's, it's, it's more of a philosophical, uh, kind of awakening for me than a religious one.
1: Okay. Because that's why I was wondering if you had this near death experience where God, thank you, thank God that you and your son were spared of that. That's why I was wondering if it had any, not just philosophical, but any spiritual or religious connotations for you to say, listen, maybe I should be more involved. I was just wondering about that out loud.
2: I think I think it had more of a, an impact on my son, um, spiritually, um, but uh, less less so for me. It's for me it's more philosophical.
1: Have you had religious leaders reach out to you after the incident, or near incident?
2: Um, I've had religious media reach out to me, but not religious leaders.
1: We're speaking with Jay Bloom. He was supposed. To, he and his son Sean was supposed to be in that ill fated submarine ride to the titanic thank god that uh, he and his son did not go and that's why they were he's able to be here with our broadcast
0: please welcome the 110th mayor of the great city of new york mayor
3: eric adams one of my favorite radio, radio shows always good speaking with you zev take care
0: thank you mr mayor you're listening to talk line with zev brenner america's premier jewish broadcast on the air since 1981
3: and now here's your host
1: And we're back. Jay Bloom is our guest, a billionaire investor from Las Vegas. He and his son Sean were supposed to be on that ill-fated submarine trip to the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean to visit Titanic. By the grace of God, they were spared. We're taking your phone calls. Let's go to Arya in Flatbush. Arie, are you there?
3: Yes. Hi. I just wanted to say uh, to Mr. Bloom, I was I was a little bit disappointed to hear that you weren't religiously inspired by by your experience. So I'd like to share some religious thoughts that I had about about the whole thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Titanic was surrounded by a lot of arrogance at the time that it was built. They said it was unsinkable, and um, that could very well have played into why it sank because they thought they were invincible. You're not supposed you're not supposed to do that. Now, connected with that, if Hashem in fact had anything to do with the sinking of the Titanic, it, we can refer back to. Uh, uh, the book in Shamos, Exodus, where the Egyptians were drowning in the sea and the and the Israelites were rejoicing that their enemies were drowning, or the angels were rejoicing rather, and God reprimanded the angels and said, Do not rejoice, do not sing while my creatures are dying. Do not exalt exult while my creatures are dying. So your so point to Arya the is? Scene, the point is to visit the scene of where people lost their lives and get some ex- exultation out of that. Okay. That goes directly against this, uh, this this refuge this um this you know this uh no uh, but
1: this let, morning, let, me, let me say I share, I, I, hold on I, I I don't think going to visit the Titanic it's a curiosity thing where people want to see the the boat it was, it was a magnificent ship at its time um it's just a tragedy we're never able to pull it up so I'm not sure that's that's correct I mean, they I think, get
3: a thrill they get a thrill uh, they're not sharing the tragedy uh, of lost uh, lives
1: I, I don't think that's what but I'll let Jay respond to you. I won't put words yeah, in his I, mouth. I don't,
2: I don't think that's a fair comparison. We're not rejoicing in the death of our enemies here. Um, we're, we're taking a very somber period of time and, and going to explore it. No different than going to see, um, you know, the, the ships at Pearl Harbor or, or going to Arlington National Cemetery. We're going to uh, see history and experience, uh, you know, a very, a very uh, important period in our history. But yeah, we're not celebrating okay. the death of our enemies. That's not a, yeah, and by not the way, a lot, I think, think there were
1: some Jews, wasn't they, from the famous, uh, what famous philanthropic family was on the Titanic? Was so that the Strauss, Strauss
2: family was actually there. Um, I believe they were Jewish. This Correct, the Strauss Abraham family.
1: Strauss family from Abraham and Strauss, A&S.
2: Uh, so the Strauss uh. family, they're actually partners in Macy's, and um, the great-great-grandparents of Stockton Rush's wife, was, was uh, were their Strausses, uh, Ida Strauss and Isidore Strauss. And um, their story was actually told on, on the movie Titanic where she got on the lifeboat and they said, we know who you are, sir. Would you like to get on the lifeboat as well? And he said, That's no, right? not, till, not until every woman and, and child are off this boat. And then the wife said she's not leaving without him. She got off the lifeboat and the two of them died. Their great-great-granddaughter was Stockton Rush's wife.
1: Exactly, So and so nobody's exalting from it. Listen, it's intriguing, and very few people. Do we know, by the way, how many people actually went to see the wreck of the Titanic? Do you have any idea, by the way?
2: Uh, There are less than 200 people. That was one of uh, us.
0: The preceding program is a paid advertisement. The opinions and views expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of AM620 WSNR or its
1: management. I'm sorry, you were saying?
2: Um, so less than 200 people have been down to the to the uh to the wreckage and uh Stockton was telling us that uh that's more people have been in space than that have been down to the Titanic. And wow. uh, that was part of the uh part of the uh, privilege of being able to go down and and see this piece of history.
1: It's probably safer to go into space than to go to on on the way Stockton had it. uh, Because I think they have more procedures, right? Any plans, by the way, going to space?
2: You know, okay. So, I mean, this is this is how I explain it. If Elon Musk or Richard Branson or Jeff Bezos said, "Hey, do you want to go into space?" Yeah, probably. But if you told me that you built a rocket in your backyard and let's go, (laughs) I would wish you the best. And, and see you when you get back.
1: Are you in touch with Musk or any of these other individuals that you mentioned as far as maybe participant? Do you know them personally?
2: Uh, actually, my, my son does. And then I have some nexus to, to Richard Branson, but my son knows Musk. Neither of us know Bezos.
1: Let's, let's go to Ezra, my good friend Ezra Freeland in Borough Park, CEO of the Freeland Group. Good work.
4: Good work, Zev. Thank you. Fascinating program. I'd like to uh, make a suggestion to uh, Mr. Bloom. You know, it's too uh, it's too weighty subject to actually comment on religion and, and God's plans and all of that related subject. But, but what we do, what we what you could surmise is that you were kept alive for a purpose. And it's difficult for, for someone not in your shoes to understand how you would feel knowing that you, you, you could have been in that submarine. But yeah. would you care to comment on whether this affected or will affect the way you look at your, at your life going forward in terms of you were kept alive for a purpose as a spiritual person in a spiritual way, in a religious way, but just the fact that you were saved, and I assume that you believe in a in a in a supreme uh, being uh, power, being a supreme being. Do you feel that will change the way you live your life in terms of? Do you feel that every day that you live now is a day gained, or do you just say, "Hey, well, I, I'm a lucky guy, and it was a I just made the right decision without any input by God."
2: yeah I, th- I think that's a fair question um, you know there's a there's a couple of pieces to the answer um, one, I draw a distinction between uh religion and organized religion, so while I do have some spirituality in my own beliefs about um you know uh, some uh, intelligence or supreme being um that's different than a temple or church or mosque or any any organized religion the Vatican. Right? it's very different than individual beliefs uh in terms of the rest of your question uh yeah I mean, it's it's changed the way I prioritize things in my life things that were uh, i'm gonna, I'm less wrapped up in in politics and petty squabbles uh, going forward because tomorrow is not promised you know to, i I heard uh, somebody speak to a group of people and they said. If I offered you $10 million, who would take it? And every hand in the room goes up. He said, what if that meant you wouldn't wake up tomorrow and every hand in the room goes down? I said, so what you're telling me is tomorrow is worth more than $10 million to you, right? And I thought that was a very interesting take on things uh, because we all take tomorrow for granted, but there's a, there's going to come a day for everybody that's listening to this where tomorrow doesn't come. We don't know when that's going to be. So, yeah, this this experience has changed the way I kind of view what's what's important, what's a priority and what do I do with my time.
5: Ezra. In a
4: way in a way you're, in a way not are are you very lucky obviously, but that this experience is life altering. Not that many people have that ability to appreciate life the way you will now be able to appreciate life.
2: It's really a yeah, gift it,
4: from God. If,
2: it is. It is. I don't want to look back at things. Okay. I spent my time the wrong way.
4: Anyway, okay. Uh, Ezra, Thin. I look. I, I look forward to getting to know you, Mr. Bloom. Stay well. Okay, thank Likewise, you.
1: Thank Good you. question. So I'm curious about something, Jay. You mentioned that you're not going to be involved in politics or petty things. You gave the impression that prior to this experience, you were involved in politics and petty things. Can you describe? what that means? What were you involved previously and how are you changing that now?
2: Um, you know, the, the whole, for the last, I would say six years, it feels like the world is spinning out of control in terms of this us versus them mentality and how people are disassociating with people with other people that have different beliefs than they have. And, um, you know, I've I've lost friends over politics. I've lost friends over uh, you know, different uh, different opinions. Were you
1: are you a Republican, Democrat? Were you is that the, what you're referring to?
2: I'm I am a moderate, and I tend towards the left in my moderation. But I'm a fiscal conservative and a social liberal, and really no party represents me nowadays. You know, both parties feel like they got hijacked. So I was. I was a Reagan Republican. Then I went independent. Then I went Democrat. Now I'm back to nonpartisan. Because both parties are moving. I haven't changed. Both parties have moved away from me.
1: Would you say that they've moved away from the average American, too?
2: Very much so. I think most people are fiscally conservative and socially liberal. And uh, I think I think both parties have lost their way.
1: So, out of curiosity, what do you see as the future? And are you going to be involved in some endeavor to change things in that realm?
2: Uh, yes, but not at the expense of relationships and not at the expense of, uh, um, you know, getting angry and, and getting emotional about, uh, you know, some of these positions. I don't agree with, uh, with a lot of the extremists, but at the same time, I'm not just going to, delete them in social media and cut them out of my life just because of one opinion.
1: So be fair to say that because of this experience, you've become more tolerant of different people's beliefs and practices.
2: I think that's, that's a result of rearranging my priorities in terms of what's important, right? Because what you're describing is a consequence of, of, you know, uh, being emotionally vested in, in a position and I'm less emotionally invested than most, but it's, 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 end, it's endemic right now in our society that Trump people stop talking to Hillary people and Hillary people stop talking to Trump people and Bernie people and Hillary people didn't get along for a while there. And
1: but it's more than just not it? talking, Jay. It's the hatred. I've seen the hatred where people, whether, whether it's a right wing or left wing, where people say you have this perspective, you know, and they, they, they write you off. Completely
2: I know I think it's it's insane both both sides have lost their way.
1: Have you been to Israel by the way? I'm sorry, have you been to Israel
2: Well, that's another thing I want to do. um no, I haven't, and it's always something I wanted to do, and now I'm going to go do it.
1: but I hope you don't take a submarine to get
2: there <laughs> no. Well, to take a submarine from Las Vegas to Israel <laughs> is going to be a very short trip.
1: <laughs> no, but Israel is a, is a wonderful country. We're sitting with Jay Bloom. He's a billionaire investor. He is. Uh, was he and his son Sean were supposed to be on that submarine to visit the remains of the Titanic. But by the grace of God, they decide not to go on that ill-fated trip. Hey, hey this is Alan Dershowitz. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Branagh. Uh, he is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev.
4: So Zev, Yashikach, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values.
0: You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since
1: 1981.
3: And now, here's
1: your host. And we're back. Jay Blum is our guest, billionaire investor. He and his son Sean were supposed to be on that ill fated submarine ride to see the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean. And by the grace of God, they did not go on the trip and they were spared. Jay, I'm curious were you in, are you in touch or have been in touch with any of the members of the people that died uh, going to that uh, voyage?
2: Uh, not directly. I was actually on uh, a call with the sister of the uh, Pakistani businessman and the aunt of his son. Um, we were on uh, 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 Chris Cuomo together. We were on a, an interview together, and it was it was really heart wrenching to you know it's a tragic loss for that family and, and just absolute catastrophe. And it's even more haunting knowing that I was one decision away from that being my family talking about myself and my son.
1: No, it must be. Every time you see a picture, I'm sure it must evoke that kind of image.
2: It does. And the pictures are everywhere.
1: You've been interviewed, I'm sure by outlets around the world about this
2: tragedy. Uh, yes.
1: Any from Israel out of curiosity? I'm sorry. Any, any media outlets in Israel have interviewed you about this uh, situation? Um,
2: You know, uh, I don't think so. I think there are some uh global networks so we got picked up but no no direct interviews no.
1: Now you mentioned that on your bucket list is to go visit Israel is this expedite that you're wishing to go is there anything that you're planning in the very near future to go to Israel?
2: Um it's it's uh, it's becoming more of a priority. Again in in line of in, in line of uh that that uh, thought that tomorrow is never promised. I don't want to wait and just have time pass me by and never have the opportunity to do it.
1: I'm sure your wife must have been ecstatic when she said that you were spared. Obviously, everybody is is devastated by the loss of life, by the five lives that needn't have been lost uh, because of. Let's put it frankly: it's the carelessness. Of the owners of the trip, of the Stockton Brush, who ignored, you know, some safety concerns. I think more and more information is coming out, but I'm sure your wife and family must have been ecstatic that that you that you didn't go on the trip.
2: Yeah, they're they're very relieved. I mean, they they were worried because just in general, it's a it's a high risk proposition. Uh, we had no idea how high risk uh, until we did some research.
1: Now, tell us about yourself. I know you're in Las Vegas. We're speaking to you there. You uh, certainly have done very well in business. Tell us about yourself growing up, your family, and some of your visions of life up until now.
2: Uh, Well, um, I grew up uh, on Long Island. Where where in uh, Long Island? In Plainview, Nassau County. Okay. And then my family moved to um, New Jersey when I was in high school. I went to Rutgers undergraduate and Fordham and Lincoln Center for my graduate and my MBA. Um, My father grew up in Brooklyn. My mother grew up in Queens. So we've been there for a while. Uh, I spent the first 10 years after undergraduate. um, Had um, uh, manufacturers Hanover Trust. And then we bought uh, Chemical and then we bought Chase and then we bought J.P. Morgan. So I started at what today is J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, I spent 10 years uh, in banking and finance, Uh, left the bank, started uh, uh, my first company and for the last 20 some odd years, I've been doing everything from startup to mid cap acquisition, venture capital. Uh, Now, I have a family office and I'm doing um, real estate development projects uh, and um, a whole host of different industries.
1: And thank God you've done well because I, I know you're listed as a billionaire investor. So you've really started from scratch and built it, built it up over the course of time.
2: Uh, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've often said I'd rather be lucky than smart.
1: <laughs> well, you can be both, right? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Okay. Now you mentioned you grew up in Brooklyn and you had an Orthodox bar mitzvah. Was your home growing up traditional? How would you describe that from a religious point of view?
2: No, so my father is from Brooklyn and my mother is from Queens. Uh, I grew up on Long Island uh, and and then in New Jersey. Uh, No, I I mean, my parents' philosophy was they wanted me. I did five years of Hebrew school uh, and consummating in a bar mitzvah. And then they said they wanted to uh, leave it to me to make my own decision about where I am on religion and, and, you know, at what level I wanted to practice uh, uh, my faith and um, uh, but no, I didn't, I didn't grow up in an Orthodox household. We belonged to an Orthodox temple. Um, but it was, uh, it was, um, an interesting time because we were, we were in an Orthodox family.
1: Which temple or which synagogue did you affiliate with in those days?
2: Oh, you're going back, uh, 40 years. Um, I'd have to look at my, my bar mitzvah album. <laughs> where, where,
1: where in Brooklyn were you? Maybe. I...
2: No, I was on Long Island. I oh, was. So you remember
1: it was yeah. Long, in Plainview.
2: There was a, there was a rabbi there that, um, actually, after I got bar mitzvah, was indicted for tax evasion, which didn't help.
1: No, <laughs> that didn't help your religious affiliation, right? When you <laughs> saw that.
2: Well, not not in terms of organized religion, and again, I I, I uh, differentiate between organized religion and personal religious beliefs.
1: Well, sometimes people say, well, if this religious leader did something wrong, then I don't want a new part of it. I, I've, heard, I've heard that people said that before, even though well,
2: i And you, I was a young teenager at the time, so it's like... So it made an impression on you. Gets arrested.
1: <laughs> I'm when sorry? Rabbi gets arrested. When the right, right,
2: rabbi right. gets arrested, you get a
1: little jaded. Right, 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 right. So that made you decide to become what you describe as ultra-reform. <laughs>
2: Um, I was being somewhat facetious, but I am, I am reformed.
1: And I hear that. You know, it's so important because Jewish identity, I think, is important because you've seen, Jay, the rise of anti-Semitism in this country and Absolutely. it's growing by leaps and bounds. I don't know what it's like in Las Vegas, but in New York, the numbers have been going through the roof in other areas. But New York has also the largest concentration of visible Jews. The Orthodox Jews are most visible. So mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like in Las Vegas. Have you? encountered anti-Semitism in the course of your professional career?
2: Uh, I have, but I've been fortunate. It's been very subtle. It hasn't been, you know, in in your face, so to speak. So I, I have been fortunate. But again, I, I, I come from New York, where it's a very different experience than if you're, you know, down south in Alabama. Um, so I'm, I'm very aware of the anti-Semitism that's not only here in the United States but around the world it's becoming you know very prevalent in in europe and it's it's disconcerting you know someone told me uh, uh someone told me recently as recently as last week that they met somebody who said uh orthodox reformed you know uh, to the outside we're all jews and it doesn't they don't differentiate so they had a very good teacher, Adolf Hitler it doesn't matter if you're reformed or orthodox. Uh, You're Jewish.
1: So, what can we do to combat anti-Semitism? I
5: think
2: I think we need to change the 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 tone of how people uh, interact. I I think that's a symptom of of where we are as a country and how we treat each other. I mean. People are, are not only anti-Semitic, they're anti-Muslim, they're anti-immigrant, they're anti-Hispanic, and they're (laughs) anti-everything. Everybody hates everybody, and it's just a terrible place for this world to be.
1: Right, but the Jews get a special thing. I forget it was, um, it was a professor, I remember, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, and basically, he, he sang a song with to Tom Lehrer, Everybody hates the Jews. It's national brotherhood everybody hates the Jews. Everybody hates yeah. one another. Everybody hates the Jews. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Susan of Brooklyn. Thank you for awaiting your question for our guest.
3: First of all, I'm very glad that uh, you and your son are scared. And I'm just curious if it changes the way you think about uh, the chat you
2: give. Uh, how much and to where? I'm sorry, uh, you broke up a little bit.
1: The, please repeat the question.
3: I'll go to a different room and see if the phone will obey a little better. My question is Mr. Bloom's giving of charity. Has this experience changed uh, so much you give and where
2: you give it? Um, so I, I really haven't spoken publicly about uh, my charitable activities and and um uh i mean i'm i'm fairly active uh in terms of donating my time and my my resources uh to charities around the world and um I plan on continuing to do that as long as i'm around
1: okay does that answer your question
3: okay. I just wondered if uh in in, in his going forward that this experience changed anything about that in terms of either amount or where?
1: Um, Fair question.
2: Yeah, it, it hasn't really changed it so much as reaffirmed that I'm doing the right thing in the charitable efforts that I undertake now.
3: Okay, great.
1: Okay, thank you.
2: Thank you for the question.
1: Any of them are Jewish charities, by the way? Some. Some. Okay, so and I'm sure when you go to Israel, I'm sure that may have a different perspective for you when you get to the Holy Land. I'm sure it's it could be a life-changing event as well.
2: It could be. I have family there, I have friends there, and I know people that have gone there and come back very different people.
1: Right, especially young people when they go. They have a birthright to trip as well. What will you say is your biggest challenge now that you've gone through this experience in the day-to-day life? What's your biggest challenge?
2: Uh... Maintaining that understanding of trying to differentiate it's important to differentiate what's really important versus what's just an emotional reaction because emotion is really taking people on a roller coaster ride of 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 tangents and distracting them from from what's important
1: so so basically basically speaking you your life has been changed in lots of different ways um, have your business associates he commented you How what's been the reaction from the business community?
2: Um, you know, my Facebook post took on a life of its own. And over the past week, it's been fairly visible in media. So I'm getting calls, not only from business associates that I deal with currently, but I'm getting calls from people going back 30, 40 years, uh, that I haven't talked to in decades. um, and uh, it's it's rekindling some very old relationships, which is nice.
1: Now, that is nice. Uh, it's certainly a life altering situation. Are you planning on writing a book, by the way?
2: If I wrote a book, this would be one chapter.
1: <laughs> what would be the other chapters be about?
2: Uh, I did a project in Las Vegas called The Las Vegas Mob Experience, where I bought up the estates of all the gangsters, Mickey Cohen, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, and put them on display, and in the process, I interacted with all of their children and, you know, spouses and nephews and grandchildren, and I collected all the stories of of their uh, notorious uh, relatives, and it's quite a collection of stories that I've assembled from the families of these these uh, mobsters. That would be another chapter.
1: Well, the Jewish mobsters built Las Vegas, right? Uh...
2: I know. I got yelled at when I did this by the Italian American Club in Las Vegas. And uh I said I said, slow your roll. Uh the gangsters that I'm I'm putting in are Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel and Mickey Cohen. Like I I don't think uh I think I have maybe one of one of five that's Italian. <laughs>
1: Yeah, some good, we've done some shows on some of the Jewish mobsters and there's one book called He Was Good to His Mother. They have a whole collection of Jewish mobsters. But the interesting thing is, is that, that their lifestyle didn't carry on to the next generation. They encouraged their kids not to be in their lifestyle.
2: That's very true. I actually called out the Italian American Club and said, shame on you for saying, for, for thinking everybody's Italian when I say mafia. <laughs> stereotyping the Italians.
1: Menachem of Maplewood, New Jersey, your question for our guest. Go ahead, Menachem.
4: Yes, uh, Zev, uh, thank you for a great program as always. Uh, Mr. Bloom, it's certainly um, heartwarming to be able to speak to you. Of course, that's a tremendous understatement. Uh, I'm theorizing that without your son researching it as much as he did, that you might have gone on that trip alone. Uh, would that have been possible? Do you think that would have been possible?
2: It's entirely possible. Um you know, it was him and his conversation with his friend that sparked the research and he brought it to my attention, all of the things that he was finding uh that I had overlooked initially. Whether or not I'm, I may have come across this information on my own later without them, uh, is pure speculation. I just don't know.
4: And as, as a, a follow up go ahead. As a follow up, do you think do you think that um your your taking of risks as an investor normally has to do, risk reward, etc. Do you think that will change the way you view your prior dealings with risk?
2: You know, that's an interesting question. When I do a business deal, I do a risk reward analysis and, and I diligence what the risk is in this particular instance because it was experiential and not an investment uh you really really didn't do the diligence at least not an inception you know the value proposition was very intriguing it was something i could do for my son who is a titanic fan you know he's enamored with the story of the titanic ever since he was a little kid so for me it was a it was a an enticing proposition and i didn't treat it like a business deal where where you diligence what the risks are i just looked at the uh The benefit and uh in retrospect and going forward uh i'm going to diligence uh things even if they're not business deals because there are risks that are inherent that if you don't look for them you won't see them
1: thank you for for a very good
5: question would you you
4: ever consider skydiving
2: (laughs) so i'm a helicopter pilot And uh, I had a helicopter operation one time, and and, uh, there was a skydiving company that wanted to do skydiving jumps in our path, and they invited me to go skydiving as their guest. And I declined because I see no reason to leave a perfectly good aircraft mid-flight. Fantastic. Now you're talking. Thank you very much. Stay well.
4: Thank you
1: for a very good question. I appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) I was just wondering as I listened to Menachem's question to you, uh, Jay, so... You said you didn't you, – were you taking at face value when the CEO of Stockton Rush of Ocean Gate, when he invited you on the trip, were you taking his assurances? If your son would have intervened, were you accepting what he was saying about the safety of the submarine and about you know, his experience? So if it wouldn't have been for your son, it seems like you would have gone.
2: It's entirely possible. I mean, I can only speculate as to whether or not I would have diligenced it myself if I wasn't prompted. But it's very possible that I would not have because it's not, again, it's not an investment. It's just an experience. And you make a lot of assumptions when you go on an experience that it's vetted and regulated and safe. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine taking risks, but they need to be calculated risks and educated risks. And, um, there was a lot here when Stockton, uh, when Stockton told me that the industry of, of non-military subs. Uh, has a perfect safety record with no accidents, no injuries for 35 years. Yeah, I took that at face value. I didn't stop and consider that he's only been doing it for two years and he's deviated from the industry standard. So that record, that industry record doesn't apply to what he's doing. I, I just heard the industry record and assumed that he was he was doing the same thing, but he wasn't.
1: Jay Bloom is our guest, billionaire investor. Uh, he Grew up in Brooklyn. They was actually Nassau County. He's in Las Vegas right now, and he was supposed to be on that ill-fated submarine trip to the Titanic with his son Sean. By the grace of God, he was spared.
2: That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com.
0: You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981.
5: And now,
3: here's your host.
1: back our guest is jay bloom just for a little while longer a billionaire investor he was he and his son Sean were supposed to be on the ill-fated submarine to visit the titanic at the bottom of the ocean by the grace of god they were saved jay i know that you and your son were going to go on this voyage as a bonding father and son and thank god you didn't go on this one are you planning any father and son bondage in that instead of what you said of this submarine is there anything that's in the works
2: yeah, we're we're talking about taking a couple of months and just traveling the world, actually. Um, so we're putting together an itinerary uh, that hits um, pretty much every continent and and um, all of the uh, things in each stop that we want to see and do.
1: Let's go to Ellie in Lakewood, New Jersey. Ellie, good luck. Thank you for joining us.
5: Thank you for the great program and great guests. Unfortunately, this like to say, tragedy brings Jews of all stripes together. And like Mr. J. Bloom, good evening, said, like, uh the Germans didn't make a difference what type of Jew we were. And um I uh, was very touched by his uh sincerity in all areas of his life. But I want to invite him to do due diligence on his heritage of the Jewish people who have been living, you know, for a thousand years in Europe, undisturbed, you know, Basically living there until they were Hitler came in and threw us off the continent to do the research on the, to separate the message of Judaism, with truth, and sometimes from an Orthodox uh, upbringing that may have not been you know typical or pristine or they're contradictory, but the message is sometimes not always straight, but the message is definitely truth. And to do some research, I would wanted to recommend you Roy Newberger's website and book called To Sinai. He himself was someone who was very successful that searched and uh, and went back to his roots, and uh, you did mention something. I said, my first bank was Manufacture Hanover. So I said, if you worked at Manufacturer Hanover. I definitely can relate. That was my first passbook saving.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for the insight. I, I, will, I will definitely check it out.
1: And by the way, and, it's on our def- website. We had him as a guest just the other week. He the And surprise. I have to work
5: with, and if you'd like, I welcome you. If you want to be in touch, I can definitely uh, steer you on your trip to Israel or anything you'd like. I'd be happy to uh, return to you what's truly yours.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll figure out through the program
5: how to, uh, how to do that. Anyway, thank you for the okay, yes, question, Ellie. Okay, I'll, I'll pass that uh, my information. Okay, thank you. Right, you know. Okay,
1: thank you. No, by the way, when you got to Israel, there is a tremendous, you know, experience. The fir- I remember the first time I went, I think it'll be a life changing and it'll be a wonderful experience. So if we could be of any assistance in getting you to meet some of the interesting people, they were happy to be part of that it's a great great experience and i recommend as soon as you can go i think that's uh, uh just going to the to jerusalem and the and the kotel and the wall and seeing the country and the culinary delights i think you'll you'll really enjoy it because uh, it sounds like you're attuned to going to israel at this point in your life
2: oh yeah no i'm 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 very much looking forward to it and there's uh there's a lot there that i want to see and do and and um an experience so i uh, you know while i'm not uh, big in terms of practice, uh, I am big in terms of religion, and I d- identify definitely as Jewish and and relate to my Jewish heritage. That's I, I see that as very different than practicing uh, the religion. Um, so there's a there's a tradition in the heritage uh, that's very important to me.
1: No, and I would f- be correct if I was assuming that this experience you had makes you want to go to Israel more, and whether it's a religious experience or not, but certainly you want to connect to to your people, to our people, by going to Israel.
2: Uh, I do, and it's, it's. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a religious experience or not. I'm, I'm certainly not going in with any preconceptions. Um, it could be a spiritual and, experience.
1: You get to experience the country God. It's uh, it's our mm-hmm. land. Have you been involved? You mentioned you involved politically in the United States. Have you been involved at all in politics in Israel?
2: Uh, i I really have not again, I think that's a function of not having having been there yet you know it's always something I can do later, and you know from this experience, I'm not going to take tomorrow for granted anymore.
1: Did you ever have ambitions to running for public office prior to this?
2: I've been asked before i I generally joke around and say <laughs> I run from office, not for office, <laughs> running
1: from sheriff right but uh <laughs> But did you – because it sounded like you were involved politically before this, and now you're changing your priorities where you're seeing what's right and – some of the partisan politics that we have in this country—I think it's tearing the country apart. I—I've uh, seen many elections, and I remember, you know, um, you know, dealing with, you know, when Obama was president. But nothing compares to the present time where the hatred and the rancor among people. And I can tell you that on my Shabbat table, the only time I had somebody almost hit each other was a Hillary supporter wanted to hit Donald Trump supporter. We had them both sitting wow. at the same table. I've never seen anything like it and I th- hope things change, but I'm not sure it's gonna happen in the very near future.
2: I tend to agree with you. I, th- I think uh, you know the dialogue is stopped and people insulate themselves with like minded people and there's no exchange of ideas anymore.
1: Right. They don't want it to by the way, even the and I wasn't always a big fan of the American Civil Liberties Union, but one thing that I admire they always Champion the unpopular cause. You know, if they didn't believe in it. They championed it today. They've changed. They only will champion causes that they believe in. They won't champion causes that, that they, they find inimical to their beliefs. So it's changed. Our country has changed, I think, for the worse in that sense that we don't really want to deal with ideas and opinions that are not ours or like ours.
2: I, I tend to agree. And, and I have some insight on this because I have exposure to these people. I, I you know, I've had dinner with Hillary and Bill. I've had dinner with Obama when 2016, when he was a sitting president. I've 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 spent some time with Trump. I I know these people, and uh, I see them very differently. And um, it's it's uh, it's amazing how different they are when there's not a camera in the room.
1: Tell us what do they like when there's not a camera in the room. What do you see? What do you see the personal as opposed to the public persona?
2: Hillary is wonderful. Um, and, and Bill is wonderful. Um, when there's a camera, she kind of shrinks away from it. I mean, she's she's uh, small in stature, so she gets kind of overwhelmed by, by press and cameras. She uh, had a, when I had dinner with her she, in 2016, she was telling me about her 87-point plan. And uh, I said, um, you need that to do the job. But that's not going to get you the job. Nobody has patience for 87 points and reading through, you know, what you really need to actually get the job done. So what you need to do is figure out a message that you can fit on a hat, because that's where Donald Trump got it right. That's the attention span of the American public today. Right. Donald Trump knew how to get the job, but not how to do the job. Hillary knew how to do the job, but not how to get the job. And it's be very difficult to find a person that that can do both.
1: Shalom in Brooklyn, your question and comment for our guests. Go ahead.
6: Hi, it's a privilege to speak with you. Um, and may God grant you many, many more years of life on uh, your okay. family. I just wanted to mention this. You know, we see an interesting message in the Torah. When we look throughout the Torah, places that have, been, that have been destroyed with destruction, Hashem tells us, don't look back. Remember the place where Lloyd came from? They, the Malachim told him, don't look back. That's the angels, but she did okay. look back. She did look back, and she became a pillar of salt. Which means, what I'm trying to imply is that Titanic was destroyed, and therefore, perhaps it's not it's not favorable by Hashem that when people go and visit these destructive areas, we have to our our job as a Jew. I'm not here to to I'm not a rabbi, but it's to rebuild our life in in Israel and and the Jewish nation. But to go and revisit destructive places. Maybe it's not favorable, and maybe that's that's probably uh, what was the message of this outcome that's not favorable to visit these destructive areas
2: you know I, I would I would suggest that there's an alternative uh viewpoint right because we all have a duty never to forget, and I would hate to see them develop Auschwitz into a condo development right so um, when there's tragedy, it's important that we understand it and remember it and appreciate it and and not necessarily look back, but keep it in our memories, uh, so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. Um, so I, I think there's a. I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate your position. But I think there's a, there's an alternative position that's equally valid.
1: Some, okay, I just want to put that out. Okay, okay, thank you for your phone call. Bob, have you visited the concentration camps? Jay, have I? Yes.
2: Um. I have not visited the concentration camps, no. no but um, I certainly would find it very fascinating to do so.
1: I think light right now, to to be the, in fact, and I think there's a lot of individuals go to the concentration camps and so from there go to Israel. So you see the devastation, the destruction, and you see the miracle of Israel's rebirth after 2,000 years.
2: I can tell you I've been through the uh, the Jewish Museum in Washington, D.C., and it was one of the most sobering experiences I've ever had, you know, walking through the, the, the train car that went to the concentration camps and seeing the piles of shoes and glasses. And uh, I mean, it's it's just, you know, it's not a question of looking back, but it's a question of never forgetting.
1: Right. Well, I think one of the biggest problems that we have in our generation, Jay, is that a lot of Jewish children are not getting a Jewish education. They don't know about the Holocaust. They don't appreciate the state of Israel. And we're facing, now I mentioned anti-Semitism earlier, but I think one of the biggest challenges we face is the assimilation, the acculturation, where we're losing our sense of who we are because of the lack of Jewish education, lack of Jewish knowledge. Knowledge is power.
2: Yeah, I I I would agree that there's, um I mean, Assimilation is is important to a degree, but not to the point where you lose your sense of self.
1: And I think we've we were unfortunately a lot of us have lost it in this country where uh, they don't have that Jewish identity. Uh, it's unfortunate. I come across people that, in fact, uh, I had interviewed Ed Asner before he passed away. He also, by the way, had an Orthodox background growing up. He had a bar mitzvah, and he told me he didn't even celebrate Hanukkah at, at the end. And I asked him, "Do you remember anything from Bar Mitzvah?" And he goes, "No." And then he starts, then he starts singing, "Baruch Hu Hashem (laughs) Hamavora." So it came to him, but he hasn't thought about it in God knows how long. So it's unfortunate part of the American experience where people have some exposure or no exposure, and they just lose it. So I'm glad to see that you're connecting and going to be going to Israel with your family. I think it's so important, and uh, we appreciate you being here with us, and we look forward to having you back. I'm looking forward. I'm looking. I'm waiting for the book to come out i know you Uh have one chapter about what happened with the titanic but i'm sure you have a lot more to write uh, about politics or reflections and before i let you go uh you mentioned how you liked hillary and she shrunk when the cameras came around what were your impressions of donald trump and obama
2: so donald trump and obama um they're they're amazing in their personalities and bill clinton as well um I think they're some of the best speakers and the most captivating people. They can enter a room and just completely own the room. Well, I never saw anybody
1: as charismatic as Bill Clinton. By the way, he had it. I mean, he made you. F- I once went to his. I interviewed him before he became president. I went to his birthday party. I think it was his 50th birthday party. One of those birthday parties, he shook my hand. He said, "Mr. President, I don't know if you remember me, but I interviewed you before you became president." He didn't say a word to me. <laughs> He shook my hand. He, without saying, I felt, buddy, I feel you. I feel your pain. I love you. And that's, and I'm a guy. I just felt it the way he clasped my hand. He is tremendously charismatic. Never met anybody like him.
2: And I'm sure he remembered you. He was, he was gifted in that regard. He remembers everybody. Um, it's, it's incredible. So Bill Clinton is a lot of fun. Obama is extremely intelligent. Um, and Donald Trump is, is funny and charming, but also very, very coarse. He's very, he can be very abrasive and he's just so self absorbed. And, um, he, he's Trump, Trump is, uh, Trump is an anomaly. I mean, a lot of middle of America thinks that The Apprentice is actually a documentary. It is not.
1: <laughs> it was his training to be, <laughs> to be president. <laughs> yes. What about Joe Biden? Have you met with him?
2: I've spent some time with Joe. Uh, Joe um, strikes me as somebody who's really trying to do the right thing. Um, uh, he's not sophisticated like Obama. He's not charming like, like, uh, like Trump or Clinton. He's just a, a blue collar guy that's trying to do the right thing.
1: Jay, we appreciate you being here with him. What is your Hebrew name?
2: Um, so I was born in an air force base in Japan. So we had this discussion when, uh, when I was Bar Mitzvahed, and uh, I think we settled on Yakov.
1: Yaakov, that's a nice name. It's a patriarch. So, Jay Yakov Bloom, thank you for being with us. Look forward to having you back, and I'm glad that you and your son were spared from going on that ill-fated voyage on the submarine to the bottom of the sea to the Titanic. Thank you for being with us.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be able to be
1: here. And we'll look forward to we'll have you back again, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community.
2: For continuous Jewish programs, TalkLineNetwork.com, or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or JewishPodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com.
6: Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.